Chapter Nineteen of the Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. The lank young man, wearing a long brown linen coat over his untidy clothes, his fingers smeared with grease, his hair considerably ruffled, stood on the threshold of the little restaurant in Drury Lane, looking around obviously in search of someone. He nodded to Bliss patronizingly. "'Chap from the Sun Motor Works,' the latter remarked to his companion. "'Come to look for one of their drivers, I suppose.' "'Hateful people,' Francis declared vigorously. "'I should like to tell their manager exactly what I think of him.' "'Tom would take a message, no doubt,' Bliss suggested with a smile. "'And I should like to hear it delivered.' Francis continued firmly. I should like to deliver it myself. I wonder sometimes whether these beasts who give a man or girl the sack for no just cause at all, but simply because they're in a bad humour and feel like it, understand what they're doing, whether they know what it means to be out of work. They don't seem to feel any sense of responsibility towards other people. It's self, 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 all the time." Bliss's hand rested for a moment upon hers. There was the look in her eyes which had first made him understand the tragedy of such happenings. He had seen plenty of suffering and plenty of privation during the last few months, but these things found their way home to him with a new significance when they became associated with Francis. "'Don't you begin to worry, dear?' he begged earnestly. You'll get another post easily enough. Perhaps, she assented drearily, and yet it has all got to start over again tomorrow morning, and I hate it so. I shall go about all day with a lump in my throat, and I shall feel a queer pain every time some beast of a man shakes his head. I'm like a beggar pleading for work. I'll have to pretend not to notice if a man shows that he thinks I am nice-looking. I have to be looked at critically, and sometimes I can read the thoughts in a man's mind as he looks at me with my testimonials in his hand. Yes, I might do, and am I married? Or have I a sweetheart? And so on. What right have they to ask such questions? Ernest, I loathe men. When tomorrow is over, I shall probably loathe myself. Look here, Bliss said firmly. You've got to get out of this frame of mind, Francis. You're undervaluing yourself. You are clever enough. You have the full value to give for your wretched thirty shillings a week, or whatever it is, without smiling at any employer in the world. You're not asking favours. She sighed. That's what I tell myself. But if you only saw the stream of girls outside every office where there's a vacancy— the lank young man, returning from his tour of the restaurant, paused in front of their table. "'Got a job yet, Bliss?' he inquired. Bliss shook his head. "'I've had one, but it's no good chucked it this evening.' The young man adopted a more confidential attitude. He stretched his hands upon the table and leaned over towards Bliss. "'Look here,' he continued. We're fairly stuck for a driver at the yard. The governor has just hired out the old Woolsey racer to a young lady who's paid cash down for it. 
and who's standing there now, waiting to take the thing away, and we haven't a driver who can be spared. I've been to all the pubs and two or three other places, but I couldn't find a soul except Sam Johnson, and he's drunk as a lord. You take my tip and hurry round, and I shouldn't wonder if you didn't get the job. Bliss rose briskly to his feet, called the waiter, and paid the bill. "'If I'm not back in quarter of an hour, Francis,' he said, "'you won't mind going home alone, will you?' She pressed his fingers. "'Of course not. Good luck to you.' Bliss found the same elaborate young man standing in the garage of the Sun Motor Company. By his side was a woman of whose appearance all that he could gather was that she was tall, dressed in a brown tweed ulster, a motor bonnet, and a very thick veil. Words were passing between the two, and the young man was apparently getting the worst of it. He looked up almost eagerly as Bliss approached. The lady was obviously annoyed. "'What is the use of showing me the car and telling me that it will be ready to leave the garage in five minutes? You know I can't drive it. Find me a chauffeur, or give me back my money. I can't stand about any longer.' The manager stepped on one side. "'What a job!' he asked Bliss under his breath. Bliss's monosyllable was sufficient. The young man breathed a sigh of relief. "'Here's your driver,' he announced. "'And about time, too,' the lady declared, wheeling round and facing Bliss. "'Is he used to the car?' "'Certainly, madam,' the young man assured her. "'He has had it out often, and he is one of our most expert drivers.' She climbed into the low seat and leaned back. "'Bring enough petrol with you for two hundred miles,' she ordered. Bliss was a little taken aback. "'Are we driving all night, madam?' he asked. "'We may be,' his passenger replied. "'I want to get to Newmarket as fast as I can to start with, anyhow.' Bliss saw some tins of petrol handed into the back of the car and clambered into his seat. A mechanic seized the starting-handle. "'Stop!' the young woman commanded. "'Where's your overcoat, chauffeur?' "'I haven't one,' Bliss explained. "'I wasn't expecting to drive to-night.' "'Find him an overcoat,' she directed, turning to the manager imperiously. "'The idea of letting your men go out to be frozen to death!' The young man plunged into his office and returned with a heavy motor-coat, which he handed to Bliss. "'What are my orders exactly, sir?' the latter inquired. "'I don't want to make another mistake.' "'You were at the entire disposal of the young lady,' was the curt reply. "'Same wages as last. The lady will pay all expenses on the road.' "'You wish to go to Newmarket, madam?' Bliss asked as he slipped in his clutch. "'Yes, yes,' she replied impatiently. They reached Newmarket at one o'clock in the morning. Bliss slackened down with a sigh of relief. It had been a long day for him, and the car was not an easy one to drive. "'This is Newmarket, madam,' he announced. "'Go on to Swaffham,' she ordered. The night was grey-black, with tangled masses of vaporous clouds spread like a network across the lowering sky. Every now and then, during the last two hours, a drizzling rain had fallen and in places the road was soft. 
Swaffham was thirty-two miles further on, and Bliss was by no means sure of the way. He sank a little further back into his seat. To Swaffham, madam, certainly. For the first time the woman turned her head and looked at him. "'Do you think you can keep awake so long?' "'I hope so,' Bliss answered. "'For both our sakes it would be as well. "'Have you enough petrol and oil and things?' Mm, "'Just about.' They went on for a mile or two in silence, and then she turned once more towards him. "'Couldn't you go faster?' she demanded impatiently. "'I could,' Bliss admitted, "'but I don't intend to. It wouldn't be safe on these roads.' "'Never mind whether it's safe or not,' she retorted. "'I insist upon it that you drive faster.' Bliss made no reply. They had passed the outskirts of Newmarket now, and were plunging once more into the dark world. "'Did you hear me?' she asked imperiously. Bliss's eyes were fixed on the road ahead. "'I'm driving quite as fast as is safe,' he told her, "'and I should be very much obliged if you would not talk to me. I have the car and my own safety to think of, and it is as much as I can do to keep her on the road.' "'Stop at once!' she ordered. Without undue haste, he obeyed. She raised her veil, and sat up in her seat, leaning a little towards him. Her face, unnaturally pale though she seemed in the ghostly light, still surprised him. She was good-looking, even handsome, notwithstanding the discontented turn of the lips. She looked at Bliss steadily. "'How long have you been a chauffeur?' she inquired. "'In my present situation,' Bliss replied, "'from the moment you saw me enter the garage.' "'The Sun people engaged you, then, just to drive me?' "'Precisely,' Bliss agreed. "'I have been in their employ before. However, I did not give satisfaction.' She laughed. "'What were you dismissed for? Bad manners?' "'Bad judgment.' She nodded. "'You have plenty of both, no doubt.' she observed. You can go on now. I wanted to have a look at you. You are the first man who has spoken to me like that for a long time. Start up, please. If it interests you to know, we are not going to Swaffham at all. We are, in fact, very near the end of our journey. Bliss obeyed without another word. Presently they climbed on to a long plateau, across which the road stretched in a perfectly straight line. The country was wild and open, mostly heath, but in one spot on the right, which they were rapidly approaching, it was black with trees. "'Slow down,' she ordered. Bliss obeyed. "'Now stop!' Bliss brought the car to a standstill within a few feet of the place which she had indicated. The young lady rose to her feet. "'You will wait for me here,' she directed. Bliss looked at her in some surprise. On the left-hand side of the road were rolling columns of grey, phantom-like mist. On the other, the impenetrable blackness of the clustering trees. There was no sign of any human habitation. The woman, in fact, seemed to take a couple of steps and be swallowed up in the darkness. Suddenly, however, from a spot where she had vanished, he heard the soft opening of a gate— heard the latch lifted by cautious fingers. 
he realized then that somewhere back amongst the belt of trees was a house. He stopped his engine and leaned back against the cushions of the car. His lights were burning, and he was on the proper side of the road. Such curiosity as he felt became subordinate to an intense sleepiness. His eyelids were hot. The faint sighing of the wind lulled his tired senses, and in a few minutes he was asleep. End of chapter 19